Uh, Father God, Father, we give you praise for the birth of Asher. Uh, Father, we know that uh, you actually physically knit him together, that you made him. That, Father, you knew him by name before he was even born. And, Father, we give you praise for that. Uh, Father, also we praise you for the things that you do in our lives, for the things that, uh, that just sometimes we just cannot imagine what you've done for us until we look back in our lives. Father, we give you all the praise, the honor, and the glory. We ask now that your Holy Spirit will come. Open our hearts, open our minds. Allow us to look into Scripture and learn from your Holy Word. And Father, we praise you once again in all things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, you're probably expecting to get that usual Thanksgiving message. You're not going to get it. I'm sorry. God didn't give me a Thanksgiving message to give you this week. God gave me a different type of message. So if you want a Thanksgiving message, I'll try to give you one later next year when I substitute again for Aaron, if that's okay with you. Is everybody good with that? Okay, good. Go ahead and turn to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. Go ahead and get your Bibles and turn there. Now, Today is not going to be a Thanksgiving message, but it's going to be a message that's more relevant to the country that we live in and the times that we're in now. You know, for the past few weeks, there's been a lot of conversation about current events. There's been a lot of conversation about the state of our country. There's been a lot of talk this past year about a presidential election and what is wrong with our country and what needs to be fixed in our country. You know, people feel insecure. They are more than just concerned, they're worried. I cannot tell you how many people that I have come in contact with that have just been worried about things. They can't sleep at night. Their anxiety level is up. They don't know what's going to happen. They're afraid. You know, they feel that they are abandoned. They feel that they're discouraged. You know, people are looking for happiness and hope, but all they have is worry and anxiety. They know something is wrong, but they don't know how to fix it. They don't understand what is going on. You know, I think, I know that we have the answer. We have the answer. Believers in Christ have the answer that they need. We know the truth. And we have to be willing to share that with them. You know, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, He says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. You know, Jesus says that we are messengers to those of this world. But we have to be able to take the things in this book, in this book, and relate them to our time. You know, a lot of people look at this book and they say, this is a history book. It has no relevance in our day and time. But let me tell you something. This book says that there's nothing new under the sun. What's happening today has happened before. We have that message. We know the answer. We know what needs to happen. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about a message 
a message from God that comes to us. And it's not about, it's about the nation of Israel in the early part of their history. But it's not about when they, they came out of the land of Egypt, out of bondage. It's not about their temptation to return to idols when Moses was on Mount Sinai. It's not about their 40 years of wandering in the, in the desert. It is during the time of the judges, after they've gone into the promised land. That's where we find a message that is relevant for today. And there's one judge in particular. It's found in Judges chapter 6. You see, it's the story of Gideon. Gideon. Now, we all know about Gideon testing God and things like that, don't we? We know about the fleece and all of that, don't we? We know about him conquering the, 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 uh, the enemies of Israel and there being a period of prosperity in his time. But have we really looked at the beginning of that story? Because in the beginning of that story, we find that the nation of Israel is so much like our country today. Let's begin with verse 1. Judges chapter 6, verse 1. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Wow, we can relate to that, can't we? And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. Now, everybody remembers seven is important in the Bible, isn't it? Seven is a holy number. God is, it's a number of completeness. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds or fortifications. You know what's amazing? It wasn't about war. It wasn't about war. They didn't come warring against the nation of Israel. For whenever the Israelites planted, this is verse 3, for whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would just show up. They would encamp against them. Now, I know this night might not be a good application, but think about the holidays. You know, you get a lot of family over. You get those guests that just don't seem to leave. They eat all the food, and there's no leftovers. Well, just think about if this was your country, and, everybody, and this big group of people showed up, and they ate everything. That's basically what happens. It's kind of like having nothing left after Thanksgiving. But now, these people from the east, the, Am the Midianites and the Amalekites, they have a history with the children of Israel. You see, the Midianites, it, actually, they were the ones that sold G uh, Joseph, not Jesus, but Joseph, in Egypt. It was the Midianites. And then, there have, uh, the children of Israel have a, a war or battle against them in Numbers chapter 31. Now, the Amalekites are the descendants of Saul's son. Esau's son, I'm sorry, Esau's son. And Moses, you remember where he had to hold his arms up, his hands up during the battle? It was the battle with them that he was having to do that. And they prevailed because they, kept it, they held his arms up, didn't they? But now it's not, it's not a war that's going on. It's a people that's coming into the land and they're devouring everything. And it says... They would encamp against them. In other words, they would come up next to them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel 
and no sheep, ox, or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock in their tents. They would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted. So that they laid waste to the land. They ravaged the land. They took everything. They took the the prime areas for grazing. They took the food that the Israelites had planted. In verse 6, And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. It wasn't that they were beaten in war. They just didn't have anything. They were low in spirit. It was a daily struggle to survive. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. So let's look at the situation in Israel. First of all, a nation is turned away from God. A nation is attempting to remove God from its culture. There's home invasions, carjackings. I know, I know, they didn't have cars back in, but if you lost your donkey, you had to walk, okay? So it would be the same thing. If the guy came and took your donkey, it's the same thing as taking your car. High crime, no food. Increased food prices because of the lack of food. Terrorist attack, borders unsecured, poor or no government. Low national morale and people unable to find an answer on their own. Does that not sound like our country today? In a lot of ways, doesn't it? We can relate to this, can't we? Or at least some of it. We can relate to this time in the history of Israel. We have those same issues and feelings today, don't we? Now, we can find comfort ourselves, and we can see in God's Word and show others that this is not the first time in the history of the world that a nation has found itself in this situation. And we can also show the world what the answer is, because God gives us the answer to come out of this situation. But we'll talk about that more in a minute. But one of the things I think we need to understand that's very key about this passage is, if you look, if you've got your Bible still out, look at the last statement in chapter 5. The very end of chapter 5. It says this, And the land had rest for 40 years. 40 years. So before the period of 7 years, There was 40 years of rest. Now, in God's word, 40 years, it signifies something. It signifies the transition from one generation to another. It signifies the, the parents leading, and now their children are leading. You know, these children had known what the good 40 years looked like for part of their life. Now they were having to endure the seven bad years, weren't they? And they were longing for the good while suffering through the bad. Kind of like us, isn't it? At least it is for me. But now, we can see the nation's condition in the first six verses, but the story also shows us one individual. One individual and his condition. The Bible introduces us to the situation of one man in particular during this time. And we meet this man named Gideon. Now the story of Gideon 
It goes from chapter 6 to chapter 8. And if you want, I'll raise a hand. Do you want to go through all of this today or just the first part? Okay, everybody raise your hand for today, the whole thing. Nobody, okay. So we'll stick with the first part. We'll stick with the first part. Okay, so chapter 6 is where we find Gideon. Now what I want you to do this week, I want you to read chapter 6, 7, and 8. It's an easy read and it's short. Judges chapter 6, 7, and 8. That gives you the whole story of Gideon. But we're going to look at the beginning of his story. We're going to look at where Gideon first encounters God. Let's look at verses 11 through 18. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under a tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abrazite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, to him, the Lord is, he says, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Now, some of your translations may say valiant warrior. And then Gideon replies to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all the, his wonderful deeds our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might. He's redirecting him. Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, I know I have found favor in your eyes. Then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring, you, bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. It was kind of an awkward conversation, wasn't it? The angel of the Lord is, let's go do it, and Gideon's not. But let's talk about Gideon for a minute. Who is Gideon? Okay, so Gideon is a young man. He works for his father. His father's family may be the least of his tribe, but his father is a leader and is respected in his community. We find that in other verses. Gideon is concerned about the current situation. He's aware of what's going on. Remember, he was born in better times. He knows what that's like. Gideon is afraid. You know, he's hiding. He's hiding in the wine press. He's hiding there, doing something that was best done out in the open, out, actually up on a hill. Threshing wheat, you would want to throw the wheat up in the air and let the wind blow it to separate the good from the bad. But he's down hiding. He's hiding. He's afraid. He's afraid somebody's going to take the wheat. Gideon knows about God. He knows about God. He knows the stories. He has a lot of head knowledge. He knows about the great things that God has done in the history of the nation of Israel. 
But Gideon wrongly assumes that it is God who has turned away from Israel, while it is Israel who has turned away from God. You see, back in verses 8 through 10, which we didn't cover because you're going to read them this week, God sends a prophet. And the prophet says in verse 10, he says, And I, say unto, I say to, said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. They've turned away from God. Now back to Gideon. Gideon feels inadequate. He feels unprepared. He believes he has nothing to offer. Nothing to offer to change the current situation in his country. He is the weakest person in his family. His family is the least of his tribe. And his tribe is the least of all the, all the tribes. Gideon, even in the presence of God's messenger, is filled with doubt. Filled with doubt. Gideon is a God-knower, but not a God-follower. He knows about God, but he's not following after God. God came and gave him a command. He failed to follow it, at least at this point. You know, in our country today, there are a lot of people that identify with Christianity, aren't there? A lot of people say they're Christians. But few of those are really, truly disciples of Christ. And there are some who know a lot about the Bible. I've met people that have a lot of Bible knowledge. But they can't take the knowledge from up here and apply it and give it application to their lives. Nothing happens with it. Like Gideon, they are God-knowers, but not God-followers. But you know, we can identify with the nation of Israel, and we can identify with the individual story, can't we? We can. So what does God do? What does God do in all of this? Because this is where we get the answer to what we need to do. God pursues after Gideon in chapter 6. God won't let go. He pursues after Gideon. He does exactly what Gideon asked him to do in verses 19 through 24. And Gideon, Gideon is looking for a clear message from God that I am God and I'm speaking to you. And once he gets that, and what happens is he brings out this food, he puts it on the rock, he's directed to put it on the rock, he puts it on the rock, and then the staff comes down, hits the rock, and bam, it's all gone. Fire comes out, and it's all gone. The sacrifice is consumed. And Gideon says, oh, no, I'm in danger. I'm going to die. I'm in the presence of God. And he's told, no, you're not going to die. But now what happens next? You see, when God, when God gets us and we go from being a God-knower to a God-follower, God's got action for us, okay? If you're a God-knower and you become a God-follower, God's going to say, come on and let's get following. Let's get going. I've got things for you to do. Same thing with Gideon. He had something for Gideon to do. Verse 25, chapter 6. That night the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull... And the second bull, seven years old. Now we have to understand what God is telling Gideon to do. 
Because in our minds, in the Western world, okay, two bulls, eh, no big deal. But in Gideon's day and time, two oxen, the number one oxen and the number two oxen of a team, or ox, not oxen, ox of a team. These are the leaders of the team. They set the pace. They do the pull. These are the, these are the animals that his father uses every day in the, in the work that he does. So he takes these two oxen that are a major part of the family business and family income, and he has to use them. More importantly, he's going to take his father's bull without permission. That would be kind of like a teenager taking dad's work truck in the middle of the night. Okay? That would be like what it would be in our culture. Continuing on. And pull down the altar of Baal that your father has. Now, wait a minute. Dad's got an altar? He's, dad, dad's got an altar that he's made? And cut down the Asherah pole that is beside it. Actually, he has two altars. Dad has created a worship center. And now he, God wants Gideon to take these things and destroy them. God is calling Gideon to, remove the, to take the oxen and remove the idols in his life, in his family members' lives, and in the lives of the people in his community. That's a big task, isn't it? That's a pretty awesome job he's given him to start with. And then he says, And build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here. They were in a fortified area, a fortified city. And at some point there was high ground there. And God says, Lay the stones in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood from the Asher pole that you shall cut down. He wants Gideon to take part of the family business, his future inheritance, his future number one bull, and he wants him to sacrifice it. He's asking something from Gideon. But he wants him to sacrifice it in worship to God. He wants Gideon to be the first one to lead the community into worship to him. Didn't quite work out that way. So verse 27, so Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid, he's not a mighty warrior yet. Because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. So he led a worship service with ten servants and sacrificed the bull to God. You know, Gideon becomes a follower of God and God calls him to get himself, his family, and his community focused on removing their idols. To remove those things that are separating them from God and to replace them with worship to God. Now this does not come without conflict. Believe me, when you read... 6, 7, and 8, you're going to see the conflict. You see, the next morning, the men of the community want to kill Gideon. They figure out who has done this, and they want to kill him. 
And I'll tell you, if it was my son, I would probably be at the lead of the pack. I really, honestly, I'd be mad. But that's not what happened. Obviously, God moved in, the, in, the, in his father because his father actually speaks some great truth. His father says, if Baal is a god, then let him kill Gideon. That's pretty wise, wasn't it? I don't think I could have come up with that on my own. But that's what his father said. His son lived. As a matter of fact, he lived a long time after that. But his father's intervention saves his life. So now what can we learn from the start of the story of Gideon? What can we learn? What can we learn for today? Number one, we can learn that God pursues after, after us all right where we are. Does that make sense? He comes and he comes after us where we are. We don't have to get cleaned up for God, okay? God accepts us where we are. He accepted Gideon where he was, afraid, scared, timid. He accepted him right there. And then he began to work with him and to use him. Number two, well, he, another thing is God is not stopped by our unbelief or our misconceptions, okay? God's not stopped by what we don't believe in. If, even if we don't believe in God, he is still after us. Number two, God desires that we follow him, that we remove the idols or obstacles in our lives that separate us from him. Number three, God wants us to be part of the change that needs to be made in our communities. Listen, listen to me now. I want to make sure we're clear about something. When God calls us to be part of the change, he doesn't mean for us to stand out on the corner and yell scripture and, and talk in, in loud, angry voices at people. Okay? That's not what it's about. What God wants us to do, he wants us to be part of our communities, leading the people in our communities to a closer relationship with God through God's word. That's what he wants us to do. You know, sometimes I just want to stop those angry Christians and I want to tell them, nobody's going to come to Christ through angry words. Nobody comes to Christ through angry words. People will come to Christ through love the love that you show them, the patience that you have with them. You know, in John 16, verses 8 through 10, Jesus says this, and when he comes, he is the Holy Spirit. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. He, the Holy Spirit, will. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. See, that's not our job. The convicting part, that's not our job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Sometimes we get that mixed up. We get it backwards. It's our job to use the Bible to draw the world to God, not push the world away from God. Number four, what does our country really need? Now, this is a good one. What does our country really need? We need the same thing Israel needed during this time. We as a nation need to turn back to God. 
We need to turn back to God in our communities, in our schools, and in our workplaces. We do. That's what's wrong with our nation. It's not all the other questions about unsecured borders and all of that thing, all those things. It's not that. It's the fact that, that we have allowed God to be removed from our communities, from our nation. But we need to start by turning back to God in our own lives, don't we? You know, we need to remove the idols from our own lives. Now, I'm going to step on some toes, but I've I've already stepped on mine writing this. I'm going to step on some toes. The idol of Facebook. Okay? Yeah. That idol. The idol of social media. Mm Mm-hmm. The idol of NFL. All right, don't throw anything. The idol of Harley Davidson. See, I can say that because I don't think there's any riders in here right now. I feel pretty safe with that one. The idol of beach house or lake house. The idol of 401K. How many times do you check your 401? I got a guy that I got a guy at work that checks it every day three times. All right, that's an idol. But an idol is anything that you place in front of God. An idol is anything that you place in front of God that takes time away from God. That's an idol. We need to do those things that draw us closer to God. You know, spiritual disciplines, prayer, reading God's Word, meditating on God's Word, worshiping God, things like that. That's what's going to draw us back closer to God, isn't it? Because we can't draw anybody else back if we're not there too. You know, one of the things that God asked, God asked Gideon to take something that he probably had pride in and to sacrifice it. I think that second bull, I think Gideon knew that one day he was going to inherit that bull. I think he knew that that big bull that his daddy loved, that his daddy always used, that his daddy could talk to and it would come to him, he knew that that bull was going to die before he inherited it. I think he knew that second bull because God had to to tell him, the seven-year-old bull. I think if Gideon had to choose, he would have chose number three probably. But God told him specifically to take that bull. See, I think that was something that Gideon gave up in his worship to God. You know, sometimes we have to look at our lives and we have to say, What is it that I need to give up? It may not necessarily be an idol, but it may be something that I need to give up to God so God can use it. Time. A lot of us are real, real protective about our time. A lot of us won't give our time up, will we? So in verse 12, we see that there's a strong statement that is made by the angel of the Lord. So let's back up to verse 12. You see, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Some of your uh, Bibles will say mighty warrior. You see, that day God was calling 
He spoke a calling into Gideon's life. Mighty warrior. He was not a mighty warrior, was he? He wasn't a mighty warrior. He was afraid and hiding. He was scared. He was confused. But ultimately, God uses him to deliver the nation of Israel and their enemies. Ultimately, he does that. So my question to you this morning is, what title is God calling you by? What is he speaking into you this morning? I don't think it will be mighty warrior, but it might be prayer warrior. He may be calling you mighty evangelist. He may be calling you patient Sunday school teacher. Get an amen for that, Lynette. <laughs> he, is calling, he might be calling you loving small group leader. He may be calling you mighty Christian in school or work. But God is calling you by name and by title. If we become what God is calling us to be, then we will be part of His plan. His plan to return this nation back to Him because that is ultimately what God wants, isn't it? God wants this country to turn back to Him. God hasn't gone anywhere. God has not left us. He just wants us to turn back to Him. Last thing, and Charlie, if y'all want to come on out, you know, I believe that everybody is here for a reason. I don't believe it's by chance that you're sitting here today. I really don't. Matter of fact, I think that God has placed you here today, if not to hear this message, for some reason. And it may be that God just wants you to think about this message and to pray to Him that you want to return back to Him. Maybe you want God just to show you what it is that you really need to get out of your life, out of your life, to be closer to Him. Now, you may be here and you may have never been baptized. You may never have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He may be calling you today, today, to be his son or his daughter, to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. All that's between you and God. It really is. Because God will speak to you. I believe that and I know it. Sometimes we just don't want to listen, do we? So right now, anybody in the prayer team, anybody in the prayer team, either come up or somebody will be in the back back here and, and have a time of prayer. During this song, if you have a need for prayer, if you just want to talk to me, if you want to talk about Jesus Christ and what it means to accept Him as your Lord and Savior, we can start that conversation, but we can also end it later. Now is the time to listen to what God is saying to you.